go. Proverbs 1 and 2. When you read the first line, I hope that excited you because when it said, um, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So last week we did the history lesson. And I believe that it was not a waste of time because we did see more in depth of these two men. And we see who, you know, who and what David did. Um, who he was and what he did and what he accomplished. We saw Solomon, how he came into being. And so the whole history lesson, um, I think, is in that first line. And we are very well aware of how Solomon, both of them, David and Solomon, were kings of Israel. But Solomon, his life took such a terrible turn that at the end of his reign, the, the whole nation of Israel split. And, uh, and yet, because God kept his promise... From, from the Old Testament, you know, from the prophets and, and all, he kept a remnant going through the kingdom of Judah. And we know that, you know, Jesus was going to come from the line of Judah, so from the line of David. So we just watch that God does what he says and that history, it's so, I think it's so exciting to look back and see how this all came together. So that's how it starts. So Solomon wrote the Proverbs when he was right with God. Remember that last week? When he was right with God, when he went to the, the one high place that was permissible, when he went to that high place, God met him there. And when, you, when you're in the right place, when you're in the right frame of mind, when you, when you desire to walk with justly and rightly with your God, then God will meet you there. And he, look what he was able to do. Solomon knew that he was not able to do a job like like this. He knew that. When he was right with God, he knew his incapabilities and that God was the only one that could help him. And so, um, you know, when he stepped out of God's will, look how cocky you got. You know, I mean, look, I can do what I want. You know, I can do when I want to do it. I mean, you just see such a contrast. So right now, we're going to study the, the Proverbs that Solomon wrote when he was right with God, and God was feeding him this. So what are the Proverbs for? They're for attaining wisdom and discipline. Now, we know that God told Solomon to write these Proverbs, these proverbs so they're Proverbs from God. Now, there's a lot of, you know, influential people that write Proverbs, because a, a proverb, you know, is, is just basically a short, wise saying, something that's easy to learn that causes a person in, to, to get going into action. But if we do it specific, specifically, a godly proverb is, is um, God telling us, this is how I expect you to live. And, and so that's, that's basically what it is. And, you know, he said, this is how I want you to live in all circumstances. I think you and I, it's so easy to live the way God wants us to live when everything is going our way and everything is easy. But, you know, when our something takes a hold of us, it's just, you know, it's, it's, this is where you have got to choose then to have the Holy Spirit remind you of what you've learned. So a proverb is just an easy saying that God can use to remind you how to live the way he wants us to live in all kinds of circumstances. So, and then it's for attaining. That means that we get wiser. It's for attaining wisdom and understanding. Now that, 
I mean, I've read Proverbs before, but I never got that. That that Proverbs is more than just for wisdom. It's for it's for discipline. So wisdom and discipline. It's for attaining wisdom and discipline. So I asked you, okay, what is wisdom? You know, and you can look that up in the dictionary, and you can see what, you know, the, the human words are for wisdom. But we saw from James last week that wisdom is the information, the knowledge that you take in, but it comes from one of two sources, and this is where you can choose. And, and James says you can have godly, heavenly wisdom, and that's because you're listening to him. You take in your information and your knowledge from God, and then this is what comes out of you. Because did you know the information that you take in is then works through you then and then comes out in your actions? And that's why James was so specific. This is how you look when your life, when you're when you're taking in the wisdom that God, that you're, you're taking the time to learn the wisdom that God has for you, then this is how you're going to act and look and be. And, but then if you take in your information, because there's really, like I said, there's only two, two ways you can take information. You can take it from God or you can take it from the world and yourself and so I do this, I do this test every once in a while just to check myself. If I really want to look as though things that James listed, this is, I think, oh, I mean, I want a pure heart. Because I know when I have a pure heart, my body will follow. I, I love the thought that I'll be a peacemaker. That I'm not going to be a complainer and a criticizer and a negative person and a, and a gossipy person. That peace-loving and I'll be considerate. I'll be submissive to him. I mean, all those, all the listings that, that he, he gave. I mean, we should desire to want to be like that. And he said, well, this is how you do it. So my test is, um, how, how much time did I spend taking in his wisdom versus how much time did I spend today taking in um, earthly or self-wisdom? Um, how, how much did I talk to myself today and get myself all worked up? And because and I took this information from the news or somebody else and, and then, you know, the, this gossip turned into this big blown out information and, and, or this negative comment. Um, because I, I got one the other day and on, on the email and it went on and on. And, I, you know, it would, it's so easy then to, you know, take that in and then, you know, you start thinking, oh, you know, I could almost feel myself getting drained out from, from the spirit. You know, I can almost, and I could just sense that, oh, nuts, oh, I did, I, oh, you know, and I could just see the change in my character, in my, in the change in my countenance, and in the heaviness, and, and I thought, you know what, I got you, we have got to choose to go to the Lord, take, take the criticism, is there, is there any truth to it, is, you got to consider the source, and all that kind of thing, but then the Lord has a way of lifting you back up, you learn, but uh, come on, all that negativity, I mean, there was such a different way that it could have been handled, you know? And so do we check ourselves? And when we take in godly wisdom, the Holy Spirit is loosening us and then keeps helping us do it the right way. So how much time, you know, do I spend, you know, um, 
listening to God and taking in his wisdom versus, you know, the TV and magazines and internet and all that. Oh, you start believing what, oh, of course, everything on the internet is true, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then before you know it, that's where you're fixed. And that's what you're thinking about. And that's what you're talking about. And that's what you're feeding your insides on. discernment. One of the words that described wisdom was discernment. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. And, uh, but yes, good one, Donna. But then, uh, then, and discipline, it's for attaining wisdom and discipline. And so what is discipline? Well, you can look that up in the dictionary, but it's a training and this is, but I went to, I went to the verse in Hebrews where, where the writer of Hebrews said and admitted, no discipline is pleasant, you know? I mean, he came right, in fact, it's downright painful sometimes. Discipline is putting self aside and being willing to be trained. And, and, but the writer of Hebrews said, if you're willing to be trained by God, that it says that you will later reap a harvest. In other words, it'll be so worth it that you will bloom and out of you comes a crop of good stuff, good right living, if you're willing to be trained by it. And it's, again, one of those choices. No one likes it. It isn't pleasant at the time, but later it will reap a harvest if you're willing to be trained by it. So why is it together? Because discipline, you need to be disciplined to want to stay into hearing God's wisdom instead of the world's because your nature, human nature is just pulled to want to hear all that. So you've got to work at wanting to hear God's wisdom. So they have to go hand in hand. An undisciplined person will never want to hear God's wisdom. Or they'll maybe hear it for, for maybe a little bit, but they'll just right away get pulled right out of that. So they have to go hand in hand. It's for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. So I didn't quite know what prudent meant, so I had to look up that too. And uh, careful, prudent means you're careful in action and judgment. So here again, you know, your human nature, we're, we're just so pitiful. Human nature is so pathetic. And so we need to be prudent. We need prudent living because we've got to take a look always. We have to be careful that we are watching action and judgment. So for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right, just, and fair. For giving prudence to the simple. Now we're going into the four categories of people that he's saying. This wisdom is for. And, I mean, he, he covered everybody. So wherever you are, godly wisdom is for. Number one, it's for the simple. To give them what? careful understanding of, of action, that our actions and of our judgment, you know. So in the simple, you're, we're not talking about special needs or um, we're talking about a simple person who simply doesn't know yet. Because why? No one's taught them. No one's told them. This has to be taught. I go back to our kids. Do you know, or that's why what David said, from the second I was conceived, I was a sinner. 
you know, and that's why uh, with our children, we don't have to teach them how to be bad, do we? I mean, that's just, um, what's the first word, you know, other than mama or dada or something. I took care of, I took care of our baby this past weekend. So, but no, that they learn that word no so quickly. I just, I, I just stand back and I can't believe it. How quickly they learn that word no. You know, how their little feet get planted. I want what I want. See, that's what I mean. So they have to be taught. And you're going to see after this intro, the first proverb is going to be a reference to that, how important it is and how about a big responsibility parents have in teaching and what happens to children when they're not taught. So anyway, but right here, we're talking about the simple, but whether it's children or whether it's, it's, I think this is any age, anybody who hasn't been taught, anybody who has never studied Proverbs before, anybody who just doesn't understand or know this. So, you know, it's kind of like a blank slate, (laughs) the simple, the simple person who just needs to be taught. And then also, it says, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Knowledge and discretion to the young. Do you think our next generation needs to learn discretion? <gasps> oh, I'm telling you. There is some, there's something about getting older because you know what? You, you, you don't... You don't feel you need a muzzle anymore because you're not gonna. You don't have to impress anybody anyway. So just, it is kind of neat. I got so upset this weekend, and I'm just gonna say it, because well, I have a marine for a son. Maybe that makes a difference. But also, I love this country. I appreciate this country so much because it enables us to walk into these doors today just free. And then I watched the next generation under me who, you know, just, they haven't been taught. They, they, haven't, they haven't been taught discretion. They just, you know, the thing is now, just be honest and say what you think, you know. And I just, my heart breaks. But last night I could hardly keep the tears away. And I, I've, I've got this, this letter, and I, I checked to see if it was authentic, and it is. And, it, and I'm going to read it to you this morning. It is from um, a, um, a colonel in the United States Marines. And he wrote this to the commissioner of the football of the NFL. And he wrote this, and he said, Commissioner, I've been a season pass holder at Yankee Stadium, Yale Bowl, and Giant Stadium. So he said, I love sports. I missed the 90-91 season because I was with a battalion of Marines in Desert Storm. Fourteen of my wonderful Marines returned home with the American flag draped across their lifeless bodies. My last conversation with one of them was about how our Giants were going to go to the Super Bowl, but he never got to see it. Many friends, Marines, and Special Force soldiers who worked with and or for me through the years, returned home with the American flag draped over their coffins. Now I watch multi-millionaire athletes who never did anything in their lives but play a game, disrespect what brave Americans fought and died for. They are essentially spitting on the faces and the graves of real men, men who've actually done something for this country besides playing with a ball and believing there's something special. They're not. My Marines and soldiers were. You'll find players 
for large and small infractions, Commissioner, but you lack the moral courage and respect for our nation and the fallen to put an immediate stop to this. Yes, I know it's their First Amendment right to behave in such a despicable manner. What would happen if they came out and disrespected you or the refs publicly? I observed a player getting a personal foul for twerking in the end zone after scoring. I guess that's much worse than disrespecting the flag and our national anthem. Isn't it his First Amendment to, to express himself like an idiot in the end zone? Why is taunting not allowed, yet taunting America is okay? You find players for wearing 9-11 commemorative shoes, yet you allow scum on the sidelines to sit, kneel, or pump their pathetic fists in the air. They are so deprived with their multi-million dollar contracts for playing a freaky game. You condone it all by your refusal to act. You're just as bad and disgusting as they are. I hope Americans boycott any sponsor who sports that rabble you call the NFL. I hope they turn off the TV when any team that allowed this disrespect to occur without consequence on the sidelines. I applaud those who have not. Legends and heroes do not wear shoulder pads. They wear body armor and carry rifles. They make minimum wage and spend months and years away from the family. They don't do it for an hour on Sunday. They do it 24-7, often with lead, not footballs, coming in their direction. They watch their brothers carted off in pieces, not on a gurney to get their knee iced. They don't even have ice. Many don't even have legs or arms anymore. Some wear blue and risk their lives daily on the streets of America. They wear fire helmets and go upstairs into the fire rather than down safely. On 9-11, hundreds vanished. They are the heroes. I hope that you're a high-paid protesting pretty boys and you look in that mirror when you shave tomorrow and see what you really are. Legends in your own minds. You need to hit the road and take those worms with you. <laughs> uh, it's time to change the channel. It's signed Colonel Jeffrey A. Powers, United States Marine Corps. I thought that was... He was on Fox this morning at 8.30. He, he himself was on. That's why I know it's authentic. I know I checked it out before I read it to you. But the reason why I got worked up about it, I mean, is because we were in this chapter, and then the weekend hit, and then I was redoing it yesterday, and I thought... That's why, that's why Proverbs was written, to show that the young need knowledge and discernment. They've got to be taught, and if they're not taught, that's what you see. And, and you know, this, this whole thing about um, discretion, you know, I mean, maybe you've got an opinion, but, you know, it's the same kind of thing. Yes, Everybody, I respect your opinion, but then you better respect mine as well. And I think this is where we've just totally, um, and I do think that instead of becoming wishy-washy, we've got to start standing up for what's right. Instead of saying, well, you know, we got to be tolerant of everybody. No, I don't. Not when it goes against God's word. I must obey God rather than man. And I think we can't be wishy-washy. We have got to teach. Oh, I know. My boys rolled their eyes plenty when I taught them. In fact, there were some times that I would say to them, you know, I care about your grades. Don't get me wrong. But I care more about your character. And I, and I is my job to really show you where your character comes from. Helen? Those athletes that do that need to meet mad dog matter. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you know, if it's true, and you know, and I, we could, you know, we can get worked up about it, but, but I think what boils down to is that they haven't been taught exactly what the Proverbs say. They haven't been taught knowledge, God's knowledge, the way God expects us to live. And the way he created us to, to act and to be. And, uh, and that the, the, the there is an element of discretion that has to be taught. And um, so, anyway. Well, that's, that's it. They're, gonna, they're teaching. They're bringing this up even with the young kids now. I know it. I know it. So, we've got to, you know, that's why we've got to learn this. If ever you feel you're in Bible study at the right time, it, it is now. You know, to know God's words, to, to be able to have the Holy Spirit help you recall what God says. So, and then, okay, and then the third group of people, let the wise listen and add to their learning. So I'm hoping that maybe this is your group, that, that you've been in Bible study and, and you're adding to it. I mean, look at, I think of how, what we have learned is we've added one book of the Bible on top of the other book, and every year we keep, we keep building on what God says. But does that ever give us permission to say, well, you know what, I don't think I need anymore. I think I've got a handle on this. I think that I, I've, you know, I've got it. I think I know it. No, no. It says that the wise, you keep listening and keep adding to your learning. And then the, the fourth group of people is, and let the discerning get guidance. I thought, okay, what does, what does that mean? Who are the discerning? And I, I looked at it in, the, in this way, and, you know, you have a right to do whatever you feel, but I'm just going to share what I the discerning, because it says the discerning needs guidance. The Proverbs were written so that the discerning can have guidance. And I looked at that and put it in this way, that it's, it's that intellectual who is so smart and is so, and is so connected to only their field. And I mean, I can remember sometimes when my boys would come home from college and um, I would hear them converse or, or, or they would bring up something and I'd say, where in the world did you hear that? Well, my professor told me and, you know, my philosophy professor said, and I said, well, you know, um, I beg to differ. And then I would go back and hear and I would show them a verse and, and then this, their answer was me, to me would be always, who are you to be able to criticize someone who's got a doctorate in philosophy and you have just graduated from high school, you know, so they, they, that was their answer to me, you know, and so as I would read these Proverbs and as I saw, I thought, you know, there is truth to that. Uh, sometimes somebody who was just so tunnel vision in their field. I mean, Donna, you, you're a, a doctor of, of being, you know, you're smart in your, in your category, but I think you've watched the word of God um, expand you and not let you just see it in your, your educational standpoint, in just that one, one way, but you've let God's word just kind of open. I've heard you tell me that when you counsel people, you've watched some of these lessons enable you to counsel them even in a, in a, a broader and better way than in your own, just in your own, you know, learning from, you know, the books and all that kind of thing. So, you know, um, 
you know, I'm not putting them down because we need those, but look what he says. Be willing to let these Proverbs expand you. Be, do you understand what I'm saying here? You know, don't get so, um, you know, just, you, you can't see uh, the, uh, God's perspective in it. And, and so he says, let the discerning get guidance for understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. So in other words, he's saying, even they've got to be opened to God's word. Because sometimes I think they get so, so stuck in their, their human knowledge that, that they don't feel they need anything else. And that's what they teach. And that's a detriment. They need to be broadened. Donna? You were talking about the young needing this, this um, discernment. Do those two go together? Knowledge and discretion? Yes. The, the, the older or the people that have some discernment helping to teach the young people the discernment? <laughs> Well, yeah, you can, um, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding. Yeah, um, but I, to me, I looked at that and I think, yeah, but from what I saw when my boys were hearing sometime, I thought, no, you know what? They, they needed me to come in and balance them out a little bit, to, to broaden them out. And, and I, you know, I wouldn't stop, even though they said, you know, they didn't say that I was dumber in the door, but I know that that's what they were thinking <laughs> that I was, but I knew I wasn't. I mean, maybe in book knowledge, but not this book knowledge. I mean, there's a difference in, in wisdom because what, what does James say about wisdom? Anybody can ask for it. Anybody can ask for it. And who will he give it to? Anybody who asks for it. And they will give it generously. So but I would come back at them and say, hey, I asked for wisdom. And he didn't say that I had to have this and this and this. He said, if I want his wisdom, he will give it to me generously. And that's what I want to see you broadening to look at, making sure that you just don't get stuck in your little field, that you don't, that will inhibit you from hearing God's word. So anyway, that's... All right, the four people. So you find your place in there. Okay, then verse 7, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, I alluded to that a little bit in our prayer because you have to, you know, just as we're beginning a new study, you know, anytime you begin a new study, you have to start from the beginning. I mean, you start from the beginning, and what is the most beginning thing as we start? We, You are not going to become wise. You are not going to learn this. You won't be disciplined. You won't work, work hard at this if you don't believe that he is who he is. Fear of the Lord is a healthy respect. And if you've got him on the throne and you picture him as the king of kings and lord of lords, the blessed controller of all things, he is the ruler of the universe. He's calling the shots. When you picture him in all of his glory, so when he talks to you, what will you have a tendency to do? Of course. Yeah. You will listen. If you got him in his right place, you will listen to him. So that's the first step, that you right away start saying, who do I believe that the Lord really is in my life? And do you have him on the throne? And do you have him in his fullness? And then, but fools, fools despise wisdom and discipline. 
So, you know, it's the simple that think they don't need it, so they plug their ears and they stay simple. Or the opposite end is those who think they're so smart, they don't need it. So whether, you know, you're at this end or this end, I guess they still get the same title. It's called fool. You know, and that's, that's what Solomon writes, because that's what God told him, that you're nothing but a fool if you don't think you don't need this. And that's pretty much the intro. That's the, the why it's written, how it's written, and to whom it's written. I mean, you know, so I would say we all fit into that category. And then here comes the first, here comes the first proverb, basically. It says, listen. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not coincidence that it starts with that word. Now, determine. Because I wrote the word choice all over here. We saw last week, you know, with Solomon, why did the Lord give him wealth and honor when he didn't even ask for it? When you knew that, it ended up to be his downfall. But the thing is, it's like the garden. I mean, you know, I, I still believe that God doesn't want his children to be puppets, so he gives us choices. He wants us to know how, he wants to see and know how much we really want it so that we'll choose his way rather than the world's way, our own way, that we will work and discipline ourselves. So that's why, listen, my son or daughter, you can put that in there. So for this morning, I'll say daughter. So listen, my daughter, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be, those teachings, that instruction will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. I mean, I think he gives that visual because, I mean, how beautiful. It'll be a garland to grace your head, a beautiful chain that you wear. I mean, in other words, what a beautiful sight you'll be if you remember a good parent's instruction and teaching. But did you notice that he used both parents it used, you need a father's instruction, you need a mother's teaching. Now, I'm just going to let you know something. I sent my boys a text this week, and it went like this. Listen, my son, do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. I text that to him. I heard nothing back, of course. <laughs> I didn't expect you. I didn't expect you, but I thought, you know what? I'm sure they laughed as they pushed delete. I'm sure they did. <laughs> but it got them thinking because they, I'm sure that they recalled a few of those mother's teachings that weren't always pleasant. I can remember a few times with my boys when they thought that they were so smart that they could decide where they could go or what they could do. And so when I said no, that it wasn't appropriate, that it, no, yes, you are going to church. Well, you know, all this kind of stuff. I, I remember them saying, well, why? And I said, because you're not smart enough yet to know what you need, and I am. So that's why you've got me, because I will tell you what you don't know yet. 
And so, you know, and I didn't, I didn't have to say it loudly. I didn't have to, you know, but they're why. Why? Because you're not smart enough to know what you need. You're not smart enough to know what's harmful to you yet. But I am, and that's my job. So, yes, I'm sure that they deleted it and had a good laugh about it. But I think I got them thinking, and that's all I wanted to do, you know? So, but I did notice in this that, that it did say a mother and a father. And it does show that both parents are essential. You know, and I've told this story, so, you know, sorry if you've heard it many times, but um, I think the best learning experience for me to see that there's such a difference in Tom and me and our raising the kids was when Chad was doing Iron Man. And when he, you know, not being an Iron Man, was you swim three miles, you ride 115 miles on a bike, and then you run a marathon, 26.2 miles, all at once. I mean, you know, it takes all day. In fact, he started at 7 in the morning. He didn't end until 9.30 at night. But I can remember, you know, he came out of the water after a three-mile swim. He was looking good, yeah. He was doing, He got on the bike. I mean, it just poured. A lot of people were falling off their bikes. No, he came in after 150 miles. Yep, good. He started the marathon, and he did the first 13.1 miles. And, and I saw him coming, and I thought to myself, oh, good, only 13 miles to go. I mean, you know, after a whole day, you're looking at 13 miles as, well, Jackie, you can appreciate that. That's still a long haul. So, um you know, uh, he comes past me, and he looks at me first, which is kind of neat. And he knew, because he knew that his mom, his mom would give him the compassion, the tenderness, the, the longing look in her eye, you know, that look. And he looked at me first, and he says, I don't think I can make it. And my first thought, like any mother, is jump the rope and carry him the rest of the way, you know. But obviously... <laughs> Obviously, you know, reality set in real quick, and I can't do that. But again, a mother's instinct kicks in, and I, and I remember yelling to him, that's okay, I thought this whole thing was ridiculous anyway. <laughs> I, I did. You know, you just come over here, and I'll take care of you. I mean, that's just a mother's way. You know, we just do that. And, and the thing is, see, a kidney, he needed that. I, I don't remember how old he was, but he still was looking to me. He knew that's what I would say. And down deep, you know, I think he kind of wanted to hear me say that. That's why he looked at me first. However, Tom's standing right next to me. And he gave me the dirtiest look. <laughs> but because they don't understand that. So Tom starts running along with him as he's plugging away, and he yells this. You get going. You didn't train for nothing to be a quitter. And, I mean, he is shouting this. And I can't believe it. I think that is the meanest thing. But I looked at Chad, and that motivated him. He thought of his training. He thought, hey, I've got this. I've got this far. Tom ran a lot of it with him. And then Tom took a shortcut back to us and said, he's got two more miles. We're going to have an Ironman. And sure enough, he came in, and it was, it was great. And he finished, and he had that great feeling of, of uh, continuing on, even in the hardest times. But fortunately, he had both parents there. Fortunately, he did. He got the compassion that he was looking for. But yet, he had the instruction from his dad to say, come on, think about this. 
So I think this is what, what he's trying to say. Listen, listen, you parents. You've got jobs to do. And then my daughter, if sinners entice you, do not give in, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie and wait for someone's blood. Let's waylay some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down in the pit. I know that sounds gross, but basically what he's saying, but it had to be that gross because that's what sin will do to you. And it can be, and that's why I asked you the question, is sin enticing? Oh, my goodness. And it's, it's, it's enticing for everybody, but I think, uh, I think of um, our young people who don't, that's why it's so important that you teach them that there are consequences, that there are, that there are, um, that there are definite things that you will pay for. And I, my brother gave me permission to say this. I, you know, my, I have one brother that's a recovering alcoholic, and he's, he's been one for 30 years. He's just doing great. Um, but he will admit, he will admit that he was enticed by a group. Because, you know, some of our kids are followers. And some of them, you know, they, they want to be included and they think that that is their way of being included. And, and he admits he was enticed. And his alcoholism, his alcoholism started with one can of beer. He was enticed and, and one became two and three and then all of a sudden he has got a problem. Well, it also caused him to get into a peck of trouble at Holla Christian. And because of that, he got kicked off the baseball team. And he was a great baseball player. And to this day, he still wonders. He still wonders if his life would have been different if he wasn't kicked off that baseball team. Because there were great expectations for him in college and then who knows. And then he also got kicked off, got kicked out of the band. And he was an outstanding drummer. And so, you know, this is the thing that kids, when they're, in, when they're enticed into it, they don't know yet. That's why they've got to be taught this, that there can be lasting consequences that could affect the rest of their lives. You know, this is serious. If you think that this study was just going to be, oh, we're just studying Proverbs, oh, that will be nice. No, this, this study, I mean, it is in your face. I mean, it really shows you what God expects, the behavior that he expects, the, the responsibility as parents, you know? We don't want to leave our kids simple that they don't know. So, okay, then it says, my son, do not go along, or my daughter, do not go along with them. Oh, and that's so hard to say, no thanks. Oh. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net in full view of all the birds. These men lie in wait for their own blood. In other words, come on, this, this is the obvious. This is not going to turn out well. Get this in your head right now that it might be enticing, might look fun for a time, might make you feel like you're included, may, might make, make you feel like a real big shot. But what, what Psalm is saying in this proverb, he's saying, it is not going to end well for you. There's going to be consequences, such as the end of all who go after you all gotten gain. It takes away the, the lives of those who get it. So I had you look up, and, and I know Joseph's story is very familiar. 
But yet, there again, um, the key to Joseph, Joseph's life was, because when we studied Genesis, remember, we kind of talked about that 17-year-old, you know, and he probably was a cocky little kid at 17 thinking he knew it all and, and then prating around with his coat in front of his brothers like I'm the favorite, you know. I mean, that did not sit well with his brothers, so they sold him. And then you wonder, oh, my, you know, what's going to happen? And yet after, and does that mean that Joseph's life was easy after this? No. He had year after year after year of hardships. And yet the key line in Joseph's story, if you saw it, was, and the Lord was with him. That all of these somethings that Joseph had to go through was all character building. It was all to the point that, that Joseph could stand on his two feet and say no when no needs to be said. And so there he stood with Potiphar's wife who was trying to seduce him. And in your normal human, in your normal human thinking, for a man to know that a woman of this stature wants you, can you imagine what that would do for him with the, with the guys telling him this story? I mean, in just a normal human man, what a notch that would make in his belt to be wanted and desired by, by Potiphar's wife, second in the kingdom. So this took all, I mean, his choice to say, I have to hear God's wisdom. And what was God's wisdom feeding him? You can't do this. It's wrong against Potiphar. It's wrong against me, your God. And he chose to listen to that voice. And even though Potiphar's wife had a hand on his coat, he decided, I'm better off losing my coat than I am staying around here. Sometimes when you've got a weakness in a certain area, and you know it, you just don't go there. Or when it starts to come at you, you run. Because you know yourself and you know. And let the Holy Spirit remind you of one of Paul's verses where he says, no temptation is too great. I know you think it is, but no temptation is too great if you choose to go to the Lord for your way of escape. So that means, like James says, you have no one to blame but yourself if you fall into temptation. You can say the devil made me do it. You can say I couldn't help it. You can use all those excuses. But the Holy Spirit was trying to say to you, greater is that power that's within you than he that is in the world. It's all up to you. Now here, now wisdom is going to talk. Wisdom is going to talk. Wisdom says this, wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. I appreciated the feminine. <laughs> I appreciated that wisdom is called a her instead of a him. <laughs> and I don't know why that's so. It's just, I don't mean to be silly. But it said, this is wisdom talking. And wisdom raises her voice in the public squares Wisdom raises its voice at the head of the noisy streets. Wisdom raises its voice in the gateways of the city. 
What does that mean? It means that godly wisdom will follow you everywhere. That godly wisdom is right there for you to work. It's right there for it to help you. It is wherever you go, whoever you're with, whatever you're doing. Godly wisdom is there. It's now up to you whether you want to hear it. That's why the very next line is, how long will you simple ones love your simple ways? In other words, you don't take the time to hear godly wisdom. You plug your ears to it because it's trying to permeate and get in you to help you make wise choices. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? Because you know the lie they've bought into? I can do what I want when I want and how I want, and no one's going to tell me what to do. That Bible is just full of rules. It's just telling me what I can. It just stifles me. They are believing the lie of the enemy because they are bound in their sin. It's only freedom is when you are living by the principles of godly wisdom. That frees you up because that frees you from sin and its consequences. So that's just a downright lie of the enemy when you think, nope, not going to hear it. I don't need it because I want to do, I want to be, and I want to be with. That's so dangerous. And it's kind of like Jesus when he said to that invalid, do you really want to be healed? You know, seems like a, a, a silly question. (laughs) <laughs> when the man's laid there for 38 years, you know, and Jesus said, do you really want to be healed, you know? But Jesus said that. He said that. He asked him that question because, you know, I'm, I can heal you. But you know what you're not going to have anymore? One excuse after another. Because you know what this man always did? He had that reason stem. Well, you know, no one put me in the water. I didn't have anybody to take me. I'm, I'm not. Some people would just rather be wallowing their excuses than to be set free. I can't understand it, but I have met plenty of people that they would, because, you know, Jesus is saying, if I heal you, you're not going to be able to have excuses because I can be your all in all. So he asked that, how long? How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery? And fools hate knowledge. In other words, wisdom is saying, I can't understand your stupidity. I can't understand why you want to stay stuck in that way when you can have all this wisdom leading and guiding and keeping you out of trouble and keeping your mouth under control, keeping your attitude right. Now, you got to be careful that, that you don't think this is the Lord talking. This is wisdom talking. If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. Now, that sounds like the Lord, but it's still wisdom. Wisdom is saying, if you would have chose me, I would have fed you with it. But since you rejected me when I called and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, Since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. That's wisdom saying, you could have had all this. But instead, you're going to get calamity, disaster, and distress. 
Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. He's saying, you know what? You, you made your choice. You did not fear the Lord, which was the beginning of wisdom. You, you hated godly wisdom because you thought, in godly knowledge, because you thought you were smart enough in and of yourself. Well, then don't expect me then to turn it all just all right right now because you already made your choice. Since they would not accept my advice and spurred my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways. That's just the way God set it up. And they'll be filled with the fruit of their schemes. A lot of times, what does God try to do? I mean, look what he did to Solomon. He tried to, he tried to send one adversary after another. With Saul, look at, he tormented him with an evil spirit. He's trying to do something to get their attention, to wake them up. And see, sometimes he's got to get a little tough, like even use nasty things, but he will use, because he's in control of it all, he'll use whatever it takes but he still expects then for them to, to wake up and say, oh, my goodness, just like a Nathan. He said Nathan, but fortunately David woke up and heard the words of Nathan and did something about it. But wisdom here is saying, you don't heed, you don't heed the, the warning, then you are going to reap the consequences and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Verse 33, love it. Underline it, star it. But whoever, whoever listens to me, to godly wisdom, and puts it into action, don't just be hearers of it, but doers. Whoever listens to me will live in safety, be at ease, without fear of harm. And you're thinking, well, I don't know. I beg to differ there. I've had a, I've had a lot of problems in my life. You know, we are so caught up, like I said before, this is where we need a shift in our thinking. We've got to start thinking about God, well, the way God thinks. We've got to put more value on what God puts value on. And believe it or not, it is on our exterior. We put so much value on our exterior. And you know, God is not that impressed with exterior. He is so much more concerned about our interior and how much time we spend in getting the word of God, the mouth of God into our soul because he's saying if you care and work at your soul, because that's what he's talking about in this verse, in verse 33. It's not your earthly ease. It's like what we were saying every morning, you can wake up no matter what your earthly something is you've got to deal with. You can wake up knowing with ease, fear of harm, that there isn't anything or anyone that can take away that your soul is well. And that's, there is nothing greater than waking up every morning, even with your something, to know that you can sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And there isn't anything or anyone that can change that. 
That's what this proverb is trying to say. You listen to godly wisdom, and you, you, you discipline yourself to work at knowing God's mind and God's intent. Then he's saying, it is a great way to live. When you know that all is well, and there isn't anybody that can do a thing to that. Now, the second chapter, it goes quite quickly. My daughter, oh, I asked you the question, what little word is huge? (laughs) Of course it is. It's if. But see, this is the whole thing. Mary and I were talking last night. We were saying, this is really so simple. You've got one of two choices. It, it's the, it boils right down to that. Do you want to listen to him? Because he's, he's speaking right to you, and he's got clarity, and now he wants you to live. But it's going to take discipline. It's going to take selflessness. It's going to take work. It's going to take effort. But he's already said, I'll make it so worth your while. Are you going to believe him or not? So here in the second chapter, it's so clear. But my daughter, if, if you accept my words, and if you store up my commands within you, and if you turn your ear to wisdom, my wisdom, and if you apply this wisdom to your heart to understand it, And why will you understand it if you apply it to your heart? Because that's where the Holy Spirit dwells. Surprise. That's why this has to go deeper than just between these two ears. Because the Holy Spirit will then cause you to hear it in a depth of understanding that you would never know otherwise. And if you call for insight, insight, Paul says it over and over. I pray every day that you have depth of insight. That's so critically important. And if you cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for a hidden treasure, I bet if I told you that in one of those hymn books over there, there is a very big prize. Oh, I bet you would go in a mad dash and you would go through every one of those hymn books to find it. The effort you would put in to try to find that prize. I mean, that's just a given. Human nature does that. Someone tells you something. Oh, man, we'll dig and dig and dig. You think about excavators. They dig and dig if they think that there's going to be something that they, there's the prize. You think of what they go through. Even some of the criminals, think of what, the, what they go through to try to find the treasure. Look at the effort that's put in to try to find something that, that feeds our materialistic mind. And he's saying that working that hard and making that kind of effort in searching for godly wisdom is far better than anything this world can give you. But it's up to you. But he's saying, if you do, then you will. Not maybe, not you can hope. No, you will understand the fear of the Lord, and you will find the knowledge of God. 
For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So I hope you see now that, yes, God does have a mouth, and it's called God's Word. It's called the Bible. It's 66 books. That's God's mouth. And we have his very spirit that will make it clear and understood. He holds victory in store of the upright. He's a shield to those whose walk is blameless. He guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Don't you just love the fact that he never leaves and he's there to give you victory. He's there to shield you. He's there to guide, guard you. He's there to protect you. And again, not always the physical. Yes, sometimes accidents happen, and, but he's talking about the part of you that, that loves him, the part of us that he loves. It's our soul that will live forever. It's victory. That soul is victory now because of what he's done. It's our, he shields that soul. He guards our soul. He protects our soul. And that soul, if fed right, will cause this physical body to walk upright with our God. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Isn't that what we just read in the first chapter, the goal of Proverbs? He's saying, you do it. You will walk rightly. You will walk justly. And you will walk fairly along that good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you. See, you've learned discretion. Maybe you've got a difference of opinion, but if it's going to cause harm to someone else, shut your mouth. <laughs> Use some discretion sometime. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways. I will delight in doing wrong. Or, or it, says, um, it says, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. In other words, Wisdom will keep you from temptation. And, you know, there's only two paths. And how do I know that? Jesus taught it. And he taught it. And he said, there's the narrow way and there is the wide way. And the reason why the narrow way is narrow is because few there be that find it. Few people really want wisdom and discipline. But if you are willing, you will be on the narrow way. And that leads to life. But those who are, are cocky and think and simple and, and um, plug their ears and think that they are smart enough on their own, then no matter what, they're on the wide path, and that leads to destruction. Again, easy to understand. Your choice. It will save you also from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words, and who has left, the, has left the partner of her youth, ignored the covenant she made before God. For her house leads down to death, and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Now he uses the illustration of adulteress. 
But what is an adulteress? It's anything or anyone that pulls you away from God. And here again, he says, that's not going to end well. So here's your alternative. Thus, you will walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. Now, I had to ponder that one. I'm thinking, what land is he talking about? I started going back to Israel. I started thinking, what did God promise? He promised them the promised land. It took them a long time to get there, far longer than what it should have. It's because they wouldn't listen. <laughs> now, what does God have for you and I? A promised land. And he's saying, you follow my way. This land will never be ripped from you. You've got a future that you can look forward to. In fact, I'm going to quote, as we leave, I'm going to quote this. Jesus said this. Don't let your heart get so troubled because, boy, do I've got something for you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and I will receive you unto myself that where I am, there you will be also. I have a promised land for you. The promised land is wherever he is. And he said that you can live waking up every morning knowing that when you walk right with your God. Otherwise, that promised land is not yours. It is not for your attaining. It's just that simple. So all up to us on our call and our choice. So good. Have a good week, everybody.